It's here in the city. It's here in the city. This is here in the city. This is here in the city. I'm Sarah Harris. I'm Sarah Harris. New message. Truth should be truth. But then it depends on, in the telling, whose truth is it. We're here most Tuesdays, bringing you radio realities from the urban landscape and mapping the city with voices of creative social change in and around Los Angeles. On Pacifica Radio, powered by the people, thanks to the generous support of you, our listeners, the capable crew at KPFK, the innovators of web-based radio at SoundCloud, news you might have missed at newsdesk.org, and the community-funded reporting project, Spot Us. You can find us on the web at here in the city. That's H-E-A-R in the city dot org. On today's show, we're talking about a rock that has its own Twitter feed. We're also talking about something that hasn't really existed in the U.S. properly since Radio Bilingüe. It's called Radio Ambulante, and it is public radio in Spanish. This is Here in the City. I'm Sarah Harris. It's a rock that has its own Twitter feed. It received a reception of thousands when passing through Long Beach. Light poles were moved and streets were closed for its passage. It fits into a tradition of enormous geological objects that have been moved by humans with forces usually attributed to the divine and in the name of art, not of war. A 340-ton rock from a quarry in the Harupa Valley in Riverside, California, is the latest object to be added to the list of land art in this world. Jesse Lerner has this review of an exhibit featuring a hundred or so other artworks that have moved mountains, rivers, and the like. A museum exhibition about land art may seem at first to be destined to fail. How, after all, could you adequately represent within the context of an art museum works like Robert Smithson's Spiral Jetty, a giant stony spiral on a remote shore of Utah's Great Salt Lake? Or Michael Heiser's Double Negative, a 1,500-foot trench cut into an isolated mountain in Nevada? MOCA's current exhibition, Ends of the Earth, succeeds admirably at this seemingly impossible task. And in the process, it shakes up some long-standing assumptions as to what land art is all about. One important point that this exhibition makes clear is that rather than simply rejecting the notion of collectible art objects and the institutions that deal in them, land art, from the very beginning, addressed the issue of how to engage patrons, museums, galleries, and collectors. The exhibition looks at some early presentations of this kind of artwork, in shows at Cornell University's Art Museum and at commercial galleries like Virginia Dwan's. The mass media were a key component here. We see, for example, the first German presentation of land art, which had a broadcast television program as one component. Windstärke 4, mäßige Brise, hebt Staub und loses Papier, bewegt 
Jean Tanglis' self-destructing assemblage in the Nevada desert, Study for an End of the World, Part 2, was funded by NBC. The network broadcast a segment about the work on their news program, David Brinkley's Journal, in 1962. A video of that broadcast is included in the exhibition. Noon, the hour set for the blast-off, came to find the sculptor Tangalese still at work, tying up firecrackers and getting ready for an act of creative destruction. The police were there to see that the end of the world came in an orderly way. Photographers and reporters had arrived from Life magazine, Saturday Evening Post, the local papers, the AP, and the UPI, the biggest collection of reporters since they had the atomic bomb tests out here 15 years ago. Tangley and Nicky Safal were dispersing the homemade plastic bombs he had assembled in his bedroom. While the best-known practitioners, Walter de Maria, Smithson, and Heiser, are all North Americans, the exhibition is international in scope, arguing very convincingly that land art extended well beyond the remote deserts of the western United States, where these well-known artists made their most iconic works. The show includes less familiar artists practicing in places like Japan, Slovenia, Iceland, and Israel, and includes any number of artists not generally associated with land art, such as Yoko Ono, Alan Caprow, Isamo Noguchi, and Charles and Ray Eames, whose 1972 short film, Powers of Ten, places the Earth both in the macro context of the universe and the micro context of the molecular and the subatomic. The picnic near the lakeside in Chicago is the start of a lazy afternoon, early 1 October. We begin with a scene one meter wide, which we view from just one meter away. Now every 10 seconds we will look from 10 times farther away and our field of view will be 10 times wider. This square is 10 meters wide, and in 10 seconds, the next square will be 10 times as wide. Our picture will center All on told, this is a thoroughly researched, revisionist, and revelatory show that breaks a lot of new ground. It's also a particularly timely one, given that this past weekend, one of the major figures of land art, Michael Heiser, inaugurated a major new work, Levitated Mass. Welcome <laughs> on a beautiful California morning. At the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. Los Angeles County Museum of Art. I'm Michael Govan, CEO, and Wallace Annenberg, director of the museum. And I'm really happy you're all Again, here. this was, without a doubt, as much a media event as a sculptural one. Now the rock is suspended above a long concrete trench, just behind the Resnick Pavilion, bringing land art within a stone's throw of the art museum. For here in the city, this is Jesse Lerner. Of course, uh, our mayor, Antonio Villaragosa, is also here. And indeed, Mayor Antonio Villaragosa was joined by a few hundred well-heeled and smarter-phoned Angelinos who swarmed the gravel path around the Resnick Pavilion in anticipation of the chance to be able to walk under the rock that has traveled through 22 cities and four counties from Riverside. Mr. Villaragosa did not miss the opportunity to use the unveiling of the pristine concrete trench which the 340-ton rock straddles 
to remind us of public works and global warming in Los Angeles. This walkway here reminds me of what our streets should look like. Uh, I'd like to get them there, so we got to extend Measure R. A little plug for that, uh, so we can accelerate the subway that'll come and here. Uh, but really, when you think about public art and why this is so important, you know, coming to a museum is a great way to connect us all. And this uh, beautiful public art, you don't even have to come into the museum. You can see it from the outside. And it's a great opportunity to remind us as well that we actually do live in a semi-arid uh, place, uh, that we have to conserve our water, that we have to protect our climate. Uh, that is, in many ways, the educational lesson that comes from this. Uh, the, you may think we're far away from a desert, but actually we're very close to one, and it's getting hotter and hotter uh, all the time. So thank you, Michael, for reminding us of that, for bringing the desert to Los Angeles, and reminding us that we all have a responsibility to protect our climate. Thank you. There were women with vintage sundresses and well-bred dogs. There were men in orange sneakers and fedoras. Just about everyone was taking photos, including an elderly gentleman in sensible shoes, white sports socks, and shorts. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. I host a radio program called Here in the City on okay. public radio, and I'm wondering if I could ask you uh, who you are and what you're doing here today. <laughs> <laughs> the second part's easy. I'm looking for the rock. Um, my name is Mike Gluckman, and I live up in the hills. And I've been following the rock, which I have no idea why they've done this. But I followed it at night when it was being transported, and now I'm here to see the dedication. And you followed it while it was being transported how? Oh, at night, it was on a massive truck that was specially built, and uh, during the day it didn't move, and at night, starting at about 10 or 11 o'clock, the truck started to go, and there were always about a thousand people watching it. Oh, you mean so physically you were there when yes, they were moving it? Yes, I went and watched it move, only because I have no understanding of why they're doing this, what it means, <laughs> why they spent the money. It's crazy, but this is L.A., so this is part of L.A. What is your profession, if I might ask? I'm a chemical engineer. And is there something about the physicality of this rock that intrigues you? No. It's a rock. <laughs> it's just a rock. We'll have photos of the rock from Riverside, otherwise known as Levitated Mass, in case you feel like you need to see more of it. And we'll be back in a moment with an event happening tonight at the Los Angeles Public Library that you won't want to miss, especially if you're interested in the new voice of public media. This is what it is. This is what it's going to be. You are listening to Here in the City on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. 93.7 FM in San Diego. And 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake.
An archive and a podcast of our shows is at Here in the City, that's H-E-A-R in the city, dot org. And at kpfk.org, you can like us on Facebook. If you like. And visit us at our website, hereinthecity.org. And follow us on Twitter. This is Here in the City. I'm Sarah Harris, and I am here with... Daniel Alarcón who happens to be the host of a new radio endeavor called Radio Ambulante. One of our goals is to expand the dialogue, to move away from portrayals of Latinos as villains or victims. Y contar historias que son únicamente latinas, que demuestran que aunque tenemos un idioma común, somos un continente amplio y sobre todo diverso. And we're in front of the Los Angeles Public Library, the Central Library, where tonight Daniel is going to be presenting a live version of your podcast or your radio show yeah it's a it's a it's a version of our first episode which was mudanzas or moving and so what we're doing is uh, a live version with a couple stories in spanish a couple stories in english and in, in conversation with uh, adolfo guzman lopez um sort of explain the project and, and talk about how it was made uh, there'll be stories by producers uh, nancy lopez uh, ruxandra guidi uh, Annie Murphy, uh, myself, and it'll be produced by Martina Castro, who's our sound designer uh, and senior producer at Radio Ambulante. Um, it sounds like you're working with a group of people who have done radio in English for many years, but from Latin America with this project. Well, in general, the project um, is drawing up upon two kind of pools of talent. Uh, one is U.S.-based or U.S.-trained uh, radio reporters who specialize in Latin America, and the other is the just enormously talented uh, generation of journalists working in Spanish living in Latin America. Y eso pasa también that there's um, this this space when you're reporting in Latin America uh, that you're speaking Spanish, and there are certain stories that just have to be told in Spanish. They can't be told necessarily in any other language. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's so exciting about this particular moment. Uh, technologically, we're able to, to, to reach audiences, you know, and we've had visits from 80 countries to our website, you know, um, downloads from all over the world for the, of the podcast. And uh, yeah, we don't, we, we're US-based, and of course we um, are sort of educated within the aesthetic of, of you know, the great radio programs that exist here in the United States, it's American Life, Radio Lab, American Radio Works, you know, Snap Judgment, you know, I can go on and on. There's incredible radio here. Um, but we want to take that aesthetic to Latin America and we want to tell Latin American stories and we don't want to have to translate them. And we sort of begin from the premise that the U.S. is a Latin American country. You know, there's 55 million Latinos living in the United States and that's more than in Peru where I was born, you know. Uh, 55 million Spanish speakers is more than the population of, of my country. So um, we think that there's an audience here and we think there's an audience globally. And, uh, and we, we, we sort of set off with that faith. Uh, and it's been validated because we're getting visits from all over the world and these downloads and people write us, you know, these, these amazing emails from, you know, Ecuador, Colombia, Paraguay, Peru, Bolivia, you know, all over. Um, and then all over the United States. 
And who are some of the writers that you're working with in Latin America who have um, stories to tell that you want to turn into radio? Well, in our in our first episode, we we have uh, pieces from, uh, for example, Yuri Herrera, um, who's uh, one of the best young writers from Mexico. Uh, his novels are about to be translated uh, and published in English uh, this this fall, I believe. Um, and we had him read a section of one of his novels, and it was produced, uh, and, and in a you know really really creative way um, to tell a story about about a about a woman crossing the border. Um, we worked with Gabriela Wiener, uh, who's a great journalist from Peru. Uh, wrote a book called uh, Nueve Lunas, Sexografías and has worked with Etiqueta Negra and some of the best magazines in Latin America for years. And she did a piece about um, reverse migration, uh, Peruvians leaving Spain to go back to Peru because the Spanish economy is collapsing and the Peruvian economy is booming, you know? So kind of telling the, 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 the counter-intuitive uh, story of migration. Um, Which is a story you could tell also here from the United States to Mexico, actually. Absolutely, absolutely, and I—I I mean, yeah, I could do a whole show about my thoughts on that and uh, and uh, why I think that's that's a, a really important. We're in an important transition right now that I think many Americans in the in immigration debate don't realize that there's going to be a point where people aren't going to want to come here anymore, and they're going to remember the good old days when there was uh, there were immigrants dying to come to the United States. Eso del idioma también, porque a veces en este programa hablamos en español y hablamos en inglés. And we speak in both languages and then we repeat. And for people who understand both languages, it could be boring, pero a la misma vez si entiendes y no hablas, hay un espacio de entendimiento que no sea de de sort of voice over right and that you interrupt the conversation and you privilege one voice over the other or you duck one under the other and to me that's intriguing about what you're attempting to do with this project is that the original language and the original voice when it's coming from Latin America there are so many different ways of speaking and there are so many different ways of using words and idiomatic expressions that it would be very discombobulating to just wipe that out and try to translate over it. Well, and you'd lose so much nuance. You know, I think one one of the things that I like about uh, Radio Ambulante, it's, it's actually very similar to what I like about being a Latin American living in the United States, is that you meet people from every country who speak every accent you know and I want Radio Ambulante to mimic that experience of being a Latin American in the United States and and you know going to a party and meeting Colombianos and Chilenos and Mexicanos and Puerto Ricanos and Cubanos and at the same you know in the same social setting you know um, and Radio Ambulante uh, can sort of do that in, in journalism do that in narrative do that in sound so that you'll be able to, to go you know, listen to a podcast and hear a story, you know, Puerto Ricans in the Bronx and listen, then hear a story from Ayacucho, Peru, and then hear a story from Costa Rica. And you'll hear all the different accents, the different way people tell their stories and see what commonalities there are and what differences there are, you know, because there's a great diversity of experiences and cultures and, and linguistic diversity within Latin America. Um, 
and all of that sort of gets uh, uh, sometimes brushed over, you know, as if everything south of 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 the the Rio Grande is just you know this monolithic. It's in Spanish. Yeah, and that's just clearly not the case. And in addition to language, of course, there's also political position and power and class. And it struck me that with your first podcast, Mudanzas, that we're hearing from, you know, two men who smuggled themselves onto a boat and spent way longer than they ever expected to and were lucky to have survived, juxtaposed with Manuel Zelaya, the deposed president of Honduras, um, in the same radio space. That's, that's something that, that we're really proud of. You know, I think the, to hear those voices um, next to each other, I think, is, is, is an important statement. You know, that, that we're not simply going to tell stories of, of the powerful or the, you know, or the powerless or, you know, this class or that class. You know, we really want to tell all kinds of stories. La siguiente viene de Honduras. La productora Annie Murphy, gran amiga de este programa, viajó a la capital, Tegucigalpa. Ahí conversó con el protagonista de una mudanza muy inesperada y a la vez muy latinoamericana. Um, but it wasn't like she ran into him, like, you know, on the street. You know, she, she, it takes a long time to set up an interview with, an, with the former president, head of state. El día de la primera entrevista hacía un calor insoportable. Este señor, alto, con bigote grande, estaba vestido todo de negro. You know, so she finally gets to sit down and talk to him, and he's all dressed in black, like Johnny Cash. Tenía puesto unas botas de cuero que son como su marca registrada. Y apenas comenzaron a conversar, sacó su tarjeta, se la dio a Annie, una tarjeta simple, hasta humilde. And he's got this card, and it says... Aquí está mi tarjeta. Es José Manuel Zelaya Rosales. Y justo debajo, estas palabras, ex-presidente. Ex-president. Yeah, and, 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 and it's the story behind the headlines, you know, that the news of Manuel Zelaya's uh, overthrow went around the world, you know, and was all over... Um, the press in Latin America and in the United States and Europe, you know, it was it was a big story in 2009. Um, and then it, it, we never heard him tell it. You know, we, we, we heard him tell it the way he spoke it, like to to the to the, the a version of it, but not the intimate version, not the the tediousness of being in exile, not how hard it was to watch his country from a distance, not how you know what it felt like to be woken up with a with a gun to your head and be put on a plane in your pajamas i mean he laughs when he tells the story and i think when we heard first heard the tape when Annie first played the tape for us for carolina and myself um we were just shocked by how funny it was i mean there's a man who one day is president and the next day you know he finds himself on a runway in in costa rica in his pajamas barefoot um and he tells the story and he's cracking up you know and that's what I loved about it. It's so human. It's so intimate. It's so um, it's so surprising. And at the same time, now the United States is very much involved in Honduras uh, in a way that is mostly behind the headlines. You know, you'll read occasionally that there's something happening, uh, but you know, other than that. Like, would you, with Radio Ambulante, really endeavor to be able to pick up on those more um, clandestine, covert, and really difficult stories to cover in Latin America that get people into really serious trouble as journalists? 
I think we're we're that's one of our ambitions is is to be able to do that. Sure. I mean, well, there's two things I have to say. One, I don't think it's. You said it's behind the headlines. I don't think it's going to stay there for very long. I mean, it's it's really it's 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 fascinating and terrifying what's what's happening in a lot of ways. So I don't think it's going to be there, sort of hidden for for too long. Something bad's going to happen, and it's going to be on the front page. Um, so that's one thing. But secondly, yeah, I I, I you know. This American Life a couple of weeks ago or three weeks ago did a fantastic, fantastic piece on um, on uh, this town called Los Erres. Um, they devoted the whole hour to this incredible story of uh, of a killing in Guatemala, and um, you know they were able to pull it off because they have incredible resources. They worked with ProPublica, they worked with Mepi um, in Mexico, they worked with an entire team of producers and investigators, and um, and they did incredible work. Um, and it makes for an amazing hour of radio. You know, we're a very small team. We're, you know, operating on on a very small budget of money that we raised from normal folks on Kickstarter, you know. Um, and uh, we, we can't... We know what we can do and we know what we can't do. And uh, we want to be able to tell those stories, but we, we're not ready, you know. We're going to be ready. We're going to do it. It's just a matter of... of um, I think it's more important to do what we're doing now and do it really well and build up to that than to, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we're going to do the next great, in, you know, investigation of corruption in Central America and expose something because it's, it's it, you know, we're not, we're not able to do that right now. We're partnering with really great journalists and sooner or later that those partnerships that are sort of being strengthened and being built right now, sooner or later those are going to bear fruit. And I'm 100% certain of that. We're talking to Daniel Alarcón, who is an author and who is the host of Radio Ambulante, which is a brand new Spanish language podcast, public radio storytelling project uh, that will be here tonight in Los Angeles at the Los Angeles Public Library Central uh, at 7 p.m. And we'll have more information on our website here in the city. That's H-E-A-R in the city.org. Your next episode, um, you're doing something interesting on your website that you're using SoundCloud to ask people to submit uh, stories about their names because your next episode is about nombres, names. And I'm wondering um, why Radio Ambulante, itinerant radio? Like, how did you come up with that name? Well, we uh, we love the image of the ambulante. You know, the for us, the ambulante in in uh, in Latin America is this figure uh, represents a, a lot of dynamism, energy, the go-getter, the one who's he's not going to sit around and wait for something to drop in his lap. He's going to go out and find it. You know, um, the um, the emprendedor. You know. Um, El que se busca la vida. Um, el tamalero, el paletero, like here in MacArthur Park and Echo Park, it, all over East sure. LA. It's the the lady who walks around making quesadillas and huaraches and selling them on the corner. Yeah, and, and who, with a lot of pride in their work, will stand on the corner and tell you that these are the best tamales you can ever eat. The ambulante, the street vendor, um, is iconic in Latin America, is everywhere. And in all the cities in the United States that have a, an important Latino presence, 
every American city, you're gonna find the, the taco truck, you're gonna find, you know, the paletero, you're gonna find, you know, the 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 the, the guy selling those hot dogs that'll you know destroy your arteries with the bacon wrapped around them, you know. Estilo de Efe. Yeah. So it's a very, it's a in, independent and entrepreneurial space, very much as is your program or your podcast, Radio Ambulante, which um, is having a moment here in Los Angeles this evening at 7 p.m. Absolutely. And we just hope everyone can come out and make it. Um, it's going to be a great, great fun. Daniel, thank you very much. Thank you, sir.